Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we assess how the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations has gone in Mauritania, with the final coming up on Saturday. We hear how the Cameroon team had three players who are sons of former national team players, including the son of Samuel Eto. Also with elections for a new Confederation of African Football president on next week, we hear from one of the main contenders, South Africa's Patrice Motsepe. Many of the presidents have said to me, you've got to tell me what are you going to do for me? And they are correct. That's coming up later, and Stuart looks at the financial issues that have hit the Chinese Super League. But let's start at the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations in Mauritania, where Ghana played Tunisia in the final on Saturday. Planet Sport Football Africa's Mamadou Ba was at the tournament up to the quarter-final stage. He's back in Banjul in the Gambia now. The hosts went out at the group stage, and I asked Mamadou how that affected things and how the tournament was as a whole. Uh, well, uh, disappointedly for the for the host, they went out um, in the group stage, but with their heads held high because um, they they played some good football and they had to wait until the last matches in Group C to confirm their exit. When the Gambia beat Ghana, uh, Ghana took the last um, uh, um, spot um, for the two best. Um, a third place side, so which eliminated them. But um, generally, I, I think um, they were proud um, of um, the team. That's the Mauritanians because they played um, uh, some good football. But um, on the whole, um, for me, it, it was a, um, a brilliant um, a tournament. And the matches were played behind closed doors. Just a fortunate few that got invitations um, to be there from the local organizing committee and and uh, CAF delegation. So the matches. I'm aware played behind closed doors. And uh, for the Mauritania fans, uh, I guess they were, were watching and following uh, elsewhere. H- how was the level of interest, uh, would you say, from the home nation? Well, I was based in the second city, the second biggest city, that's um, Nuadibu. And when they played their um, second game on one um, from my hotel, I could hear, um, you know, the celebrations outside, um, drivers honking on their, on their vehicles around, around the town. So, um, the excitement, even though uh, they didn't have the chance to support the team from the stadium, but um, there was so much interest from local media, um, the, the hotel that we, um, I was staying every time, you know, the staff were putting on their Murabi tomb scarf around their necks and, and they were really proud um, of the team's exploit, but yeah, naturally disappointed that um, they couldn't um, go beyond um, the group stage. Yeah, sure. That was unfortunate for the hosts. Um, overall, would you say about the quality of the football, Mamadou? Um, having the opportunity to be at the previous on the 20s AFCON in Niger, where Mali um, won the tournament. For me, I think this edition is far better than um, the previous one in Niger in, in terms of the play, in terms of um, the organization as well. So I think um, when you look at Uganda, the type of football that they are playing, free-flowing football, scoring goals, the Gambia also were, um, were impressive. Ghana, very solid, um, classy as well. Um, even for me, the best team of the tournament um, went out in the quarterfinal. That's um, uh, the young Atlas Lions of Morocco. So for me, it, it is a brilliant tournament. 
and I, I lost my time um, covering the tournament in, in Mauritania. So you're back at home in the Gambia now and you were following the young Scorpions uh, of the Gambia. Uh, what did fans think about the team getting to the semi-finals? I think um, just like Mauritania, naturally disappointed that they lost the semi-final against Ghana. But um, I think realistically, for me, they've o- overachieved because when the draw was made everywhere, uh, people were saying it is a tough group to be in the same group with Ghana. And of course, um, uh, Morocco, then you have the newcomers, um, uh, Tanzania. So the reviews that I saw on social media and of course on, on local media, um, everyone is proud of the team's exploits. So good performance there from the Gambia. I was speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Mamadou Ba in Banjul. He was at the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations in Mauritania. The Gambia played Tunisia in the third-place match. A win there would equal their best-ever finish in the competition. Now, one interesting thing at the Under-20 Nations Cup was the Cameroon side, who won all three group games and then lost their quarter-final on penalties to Ghana. Now, Cameroon had three players who are sons of former national team greats, including the son of Samuel Eto. And Planet Sport Football Africa's Njie Eno in Cameroon told me more. It's heartwarming for a lot of football diehards in this country to see that some of the football greats... uh, have been able to mould their sons in their footsteps. Now, there is Etienne Eto Pineda, who um, obviously has been um, receiving a lot of media attention. I mean, when you are the son of a four-time African Footballer of the Year, a player who's won three Champions League, obviously there will be a lot of attraction uh, that you will be getting. Etienne Eto didn't play the first game. He came in as a substitute in the second. But the third, he was a truly fascinating um, netting a brace and laying an assist. Um, a lot of persons are really marveled with his performance, but are happy, especially as um, two years ago, during the on the 17 World Cup in Brazil, Etienne Eto was denied an opportunity to feature for Cameroon, mostly because of the country's uh, football laws that stated that only players playing their trade in the respective amateur and domestic championships in the country can feature for the under-17 national team. Etienne Eto plays in Spain as such he was ineligible. And a lot of people are happy to see that uh, this youngster is able to perform. There is Enzo Chato as well. His father, Bill Chato, was a defender for Cameroon, is currently the manager of all of Cameroon's national selections. He won two Africa Cup of Nations in 2000 and 2002 and played at the 2002 World Cup for Cameroon. He's also been one of the uh, most fascinating defenders that the country has seen recently. And then there is Jang Sunday Jr. His father, uh, unfortunately, was the player of lesser pedigree compared to Eto and Chato. But the few games he had with the national team, he performed pretty well. And Jang Sunday, just like his father, is an attacker and he scored two goals. He scored um, in Cameron's opener against Mauritania and followed up with a goal against Uganda. And a lot of football diehards are hoping that these kids could be groomed properly to get call-ups to the national football team. That's Planet Sport Football Africa's Njie Eno in Yaoundé in Cameroon. And great to see these sons of former national team stars featuring for the Cameroon under-20 team. 
Now, elections for a new confederation of African football president take place next Friday. Uh, given the politics of African football, any one of the contenders could take the post, but South Africa's Patrice Motsepe claims to have the backing of up to two-thirds of the continent's federations. Motsepe spoke to the COSAFA podcast. Sometimes we try to avoid talking about the finances and the money because there's some our perception that, uh, that because we love football, we should not focus on that which is essential for the success of football. It's finance. It's resources. It's financial independence. Many of the presidents have said to me, whether it's in West Africa, North Africa, or Sub-Saharan Africa, or, or even East or Mid-Africa, Central Africa, they say, you've got to tell me what are you going to do for me. And they are correct. That's the only test. What are we going to do for football in every country? That's Patrice Motsepe saying that every country in Africa should benefit from CAF. Well, Ida, it would be very unfair of me to ask you to make a prediction, but uh, how do you see things at this stage with the elections for the new CAF president on next Friday? Well, before I get into that, Steve, allow me to quickly react to Motsepe's comments there, because what he says is absolutely true. You know, our culture as Africans is oftentimes to shy away from these really crucial conversations about money. We don't have these discussions openly, you know, only to have them behind closed doors, only to have them in hushed tones. And honestly, if you ask me, that's part of the reason in terms of what leads to a lot of these scandals that we've witnessed. And Motsepe, of course, in his recently released manifesto, did emphasize on the importance of finance and commercialization in the future of African football. But Steve, politics is oftentimes a breeding ground of emotion. So naturally, these CAF elections have brought out a lot of heated opinions from people. And one of the biggest developments of the week, though still unconfirmed by the candidates themselves, has been the reported uniting of the aspirants to back Mamelodi Sundown's owner, Dr. Patrice Motsepe. Well, the Moroccan capital Rabat, that will be the setting of the polls next week, but it was also the setting of a meeting that was called by the Moroccan Football Federation President Fauzi Lecture of all four candidates. Sources confirmed, Steve, that an agreement was settled on and a document signed attesting to the fact that the other candidates will support Motsepe. Now, if that is the case, it's definitely an unprecedented move. And in this move, Steve, it would see Senegalese Augustin Senghor and Ahmed Yaya from Mauritania become his deputies, while Jacques Enuma from the Ivory Coast would be the presidential advisor. Steve, last week we talked about how important FIFA backing is in such situations. And look, in as much as the world governing body cannot outrightly, you know, be seen to support one candidate over the others, there are often unsaid and unwritten favorites. Now, there is a belief, Steve, whether founded or not, that with Motsepe already a billionaire, well, there would be less of the corruption scandals and the some of the get-rich schemes that we have seen in past administrations. And look, while FIFA has even publicly lauded Yaya's impact on Mauritanian football, Steve, what Motsepe has been able to do with Mamelodi Sundowns is honestly remarkable stuff. And it's not to say that the 
Sundowns were doing badly before him. I mean, they'd won a couple of league titles, were even runners-up in the CAF Champions League once. But his leadership, Steve, has definitely been a positive turning point for the club. But anyway, I digress. (laughs) The... Twists and the turns, Steve, continue, because there have been reports that Anuma is still going strong in his campaign, you know, despite initial thoughts that the Ivorian was to back Motsepe. And don't forget that the continent is yet to know of Ahmad Ahmad's future in this, with the decision on whether he can run for a second term yet to be made by the Court of Arbitration for Sports. So it will definitely, Steve, be a very interesting week in African football. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So we'll see what happens next week with the CAF elections. And indeed, there's still a possibility that Ahmed might get back into the race. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, the Egyptian giants Zamalek will be handed a transfer ban at the end of this month unless they pay their former player Benjamin Achampong over a million dollars, as instructed by the Court of Arbitration for Sport in December. FIFA's disciplinary committee this week advised the parties. Now, three months ago, Cass ruled that Zamalek must pay the Ghanaian Achampong around $1.1 million after finding that the player had been forced into breaking his contract by the club's actions. And this has been a really tough time for Achampong, Ida. It really has, Steve, and don't forget that this fiasco happened in 2018, so this has been an almost three-year battle for the Ghanaian. And it's now been proven that Zamalek did force him out by excluding him from training uh, from the squad as well as not paying his salary. So technically, he had no choice. It was a coerced decision. But all in all, it's good to see top bodies, Steve, in global sport putting player welfare first. Zamalek have been given 30 days to pay this fine as well as part of his legal fees and it's because look there has been no action from them since the decision was made by Cass in uh, late 2020. And to add on to that, Steve, they didn't appear for the hearing, which the court found quite disrespectful. And they made what the court later found to be fictitious claims that Achampong had reached a settlement agreement with them of $250,000. So, Steve, things not looking too good on that front. And it waits to be seen on whether the club will respond. But you know, they have no choice, really, because uh, a transfer ban would hurt their chances in battling for supremacy. And especially with rivals Al Ali, we have seen just how well Al Ali have been doing. And worst comes to worst, Steve, in the case of persistent refusal on Zamalek's part, well, a deduction of points or even relegation to a lower league can be implemented. So... Ironically, and in a situation that mirrors what they did to Achimpong, Cass and FIFA have given Zamalek no choice, Steve. Yes, as Amalek wouldn't want to face any of those consequences. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and our website is planetsport.tv. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Let's go to social media now, and on last week's show we heard from FIFA President Gianni Infantino, who says that with the elections for a new CAF president taking place next week, this is a crucial period for African football. 
Infantino says that with good leadership at CAF, the continent might do better at the next FIFA Men's and Women's World Cups and compete well against the big teams. So last week we asked, would a good CAF president be what is needed for Africa to go further at the World Cup? Here with your comments is Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Thanks, Steve. And on WhatsApp, we start with uh, Sadiq Idrisu in Ghana, who says it's complicated, uh, but in the end, a good president can really help African football to grow. And Mendes in Tanzania agrees that this would be positive. Here's his voice note. By my side, I think so. The good leadership led to the positive results on football, by the way. So I think it's good and everything going to be all right. And Bakari Tamba in the Gambia shares the same view. It's absolutely correct for African football to move forward and grow and be good. Functional leaders are needed to run the football of the continent. It seems the CAF presidency is always handled by incompetent leaders who work for their selfish interest, but not for the sake of African football. And this has to change, says Bakari. Mark Henry Nuho is a Liberian currently living in the Gambia. A good, honest and sincere CAF president who is filled with integrity, can not only bring success to African men's and women's football at the World Cup, says Mark. Someone with those qualities can also improve the CAF Champions League and enable African clubs to gain financial strength to purchase quality players and so help improve African football that way too. And Daniel in Nigeria believes good leadership can help his own development as a player. Actually, it's good. Maybe we benefit from it. I think so. Because me, I'm a footballer too. So let's pray God will make it happen. And he will do good, yes. And many of our correspondents this week pointed out that as well as having good leadership, there are other important areas that need improving for African football to do better at the World Cup. Augustine Sandy in the Gambia says a good president is needed, yes. But it's also important to allow African players overseas to return home for early training to prepare for the big tournaments. And Mumba Irene Jere in Zambia sent this voice note saying that players need to be motivated too. In Africa, we may have a very good calf president, well acquainted uh, with football issues. But when we have uh, players, like very good players and alike, but we don't even motivate them. They won't feel encouraged to put in more effort in them playing football. So that's why I said it should be something that has to be both sides. Having a good calf president and having players that are motivated. I Meanwhile, Marco Mboka in the Gambia highlights a perennial issue that continues to hold back the development of football in the continent. I think if calves would have a leader who understands all the etymologies of the, the, the continent with regards to the football, then automatically African football will go forward. But in this era of corruption that we are living in, and too much nepotism among others, sometimes it's kind of crazy. But as of now, what we need is just a leader who is very, very good and who understands the plight and who is ready to suffer in order to see African football going to higher heights. And uh, Bolong Baji in the Gambia agrees that uh, corruption is a big issue that has to be addressed. 
I doubt that African football can develop while there is still corruption and poor management by incompetent leaders, says Bolong. This has long been consuming the progress of African football, but I am of the opinion that with the implementation of good policies, we can see ourselves improve at the World Cup. Emma in Ghana sees another issue that's currently hindering the development of football in Africa. The presidency alone can't change everything, no matter how good they may be, says Emma. The grassroots movement has always been the cause of our woes at the international level as a continent. And Albert Kadzombe in Malawi agrees. I would like to agree with what FIFA President Gianni Infantino had to say, says Albert. Africa needs visionary leaders who can help us to compete with big teams. Of course, Africa has players that are playing in top leagues, but we also need to develop our domestic leagues by investing much in order to promote our continent. We've spoken many times before on this show about the state of the infrastructure in African football, and that's a point highlighted by Jesse Rando in Sierra Leone. Remember that some of the pitches in Africa, the facility in Africa, they are very good. If we have better facility, like, you know, in Europe, I think those facilities will help us. And finally today, here's uh, Ansumana Sonko in the Gambia. It's absolutely right. Leadership is everything, especially good leadership. Although setbacks African football has faced in the past is because of a lack of good leadership. I agree with what Infantino said and believe that with good leadership from now on, African teams will be able to compete in World Cups with the big teams. I have no doubt on that. So then, Steve. Our correspondents this week have uh, put forward several issues uh, that they feel are holding back the development of football in Africa. These include corruption and nepotism, the lack of investment in grassroots football and infrastructure, and the need to better motivate our players. But the one thing they all have in common is that they all agree that every challenge can be addressed and changed with the provision of good leadership. Well, thanks, Ephraim. That's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. And thanks to everyone who got in touch and for all of those different views there. Well, this week on social media, we're asking, should referees be dropped if they make too many mistakes? With the introduction of the VAR in the English Premier League, we're seeing more evidence of the mistakes that referees make. Uh, The different replays and the analysis can highlight where they got it wrong in great detail. And when they do get a big decision wrong, they can be seen to be out of form. So should referees be dropped from duty if they're making mistakes? You can send us a message on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Should referees be dropped if they make too many mistakes? Well, let's go to the English Premier League now. I'm joined by our European football expert, Stuart Weir. Let's start with this one, Stuart. Um, is the VAR making it harder for referees in the Premier League? In in terms of what's expected uh, from them? I'm as critical of referees as anyone, but at the moment I have an awful lot of sympathy for the job that they're being asked to do. Now, this season, referees are being encouraged much more to go and check things on the pit side monitor. And it seems to me that it takes a strong referee to stand up 
to the recommendation of the VAR official. And that was the problem with poor old Mike Dean, who gave two red cards only on the recommendation of the VAR official, Lee Mason, and then they were subsequently overturned. And now there was an incident last weekend in the Arsenal-Leicester game where I thought was an excellent use of VAR. The referee awarded a penalty. VAR checked it and said, actually, the contact was just outside the penalty area, so it became a free kick. Yeah, so it's a big debate, this one, isn't it? Um, Tell us what you think on social media this week. Uh, Should referees be dropped if they make too many mistakes? Uh, You can uh, go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post your thoughts there. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. And uh, Stuart, there are financial issues in the Chinese Super League. Uh, Many Africans and star players from around the world have gone to China for the rich rewards. Uh, But the money could be drying up. The Chinese Super League was created in 2004. And while the standard of the league would never compare favourably with the top European leagues, the salary certainly would. Remember Oscar, the Brazilian who played for Chelsea? and went to China for a reported $540,000 per week. But those salaries seem to be a thing of the past, with a cap on salaries for foreign players being introduced at $70,000 a week. Now, let's be honest, Steve, by most people's standards, that's still a pretty massive salary. There are currently 11 Africans playing in the Chinese Super League, which is less than it was when I last checked it out a couple of years ago. And this may reflect the end of the astronomical salaries, meaning it's not such an attractive destination. But over the years, there have been something like 120 Africans who've played there, including such well-known players as Didier Drogba, Odin Agallo, Dembaba, Asamoah Jan, John Obi Mikel and Jervinho. Most of those players did it at the end of a successful European career, cashing in on an excellent financial opportunity, and frankly, why not? But now, the best known of the current 11 would be Stefan Mbea from Cameroon, who's in his fourth year in China, and Obafemi Martins, a Nigerian who's been there for five years and is coming to the end of his career, one assumes, at age 36. Yes, and as well as that salary cap, we're hearing that the Chinese government looks to be scaling down its commitment to the game and is reducing sponsorship and uh, TV rights. And the Chinese Super League champions, Jiangsu FC, who have the same owners as Inter Milan in Italy, have ceased operations and are closing down the club to focus on their core retail business in the country. And, uh, Stuart, certainly financial issues uh, in the English Premier League too. Well, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, was talking this week about how the pandemic has affected even a club like Manchester United. The club is losing about $5 million in matchday revenue for every home game played without spectators. And as a result, Solskjaer said, clubs may need to look at bringing on academy players rather than big money signings. He said, we have players in the academy and we have to give them opportunities. I think there are going to be less and less big transfers happening at the moment. And of course, Ahmed Diallo, the 18-year-old Ivorian, came on as a sub for United in both legs of the recent Europa League game against Real Sociedad. And there's also 17-year-old Shola Shortire. He's born in England but of Nigerian heritage, and he was a sub both in the Premier League against Newcastle and against Sociedad. But 
Should Solskjaer want to sign an expensive player, I wonder if his bosses might remind him of Donny van der Beek, who cost United towards $50 million last summer and has only started two league games. So perhaps the big money transfers don't always quite work out. Manchester United's second goalkeeper, Dean Henderson, has made 14 appearances for the first team this season. But what is fascinating about it is he's played in the Premier League, the EFL Cup, the FA Cup, the Champions League and the Europa League. 14 appearances in all five competitions. When Burnley lined up against Tottenham last weekend, the contrast between the players could hardly have been greater. Tottenham had 11 players from 10 different countries. Burnley's 11 players from two countries. Burnley had 10 English players. Tottenham, one English player. And since we're talking about Tottenham, didn't we mention last week how Jose Mourinho was not picking Gareth Bale for the team? Well, Jose must have been listening because he put Bale in the team and he scored after two minutes, adding a second goal later. Steve, I can tell you why Aston Villa are doing better than West Brom this season. It's because of a difference in standard of their midfield players. Because Villa have a player who's marvellous, whereas West Brom's midfield is only OK. I'm referring, of course, to marvellous Nakamba at Villa and West Brom's OK Yuxula. <laughs> and Zimbabwe's marvellous Nakamba doing pretty well at Villa, starting in the last two games. The Manchester derby, the big game this weekend, as a city host United on Sunday. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.